Recovery Elevator, episode 35. If you question if you're an alcoholic, you probably are. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to my Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I have been sober for one month, one week, and two days. Before we get started into this great podcast episode today, let's hear from our sponsor, Sober Nation. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction as well to family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recent recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line, which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can be found at www.SoberNation.com. Once again, that's SoberNation.com. The interviewee for today's podcast is Jason. He's 40 years old from Colorado, and on September 1st, which is his sobriety date, this dude climbs a 14er every year. But before we get to the interview segment of the podcast, let's get into our topic of today, what courage looks like in sobriety. The Recovery Elevator team is growing. I interviewed Elliot in episode five, who was one of my brother's best friends, and I had no idea he was an alcoholic. He had no idea I was an alcoholic. We hide this thing for a long time without telling anybody. However, that is behind us and we have reconnected, and Elliot has helped me with this topic today. In fact, he's the brainchild behind it, so thank you, Elliot. This stuff is solid gold, and it's going to help a lot of people, including myself. Courage in sobriety. What does this look like? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This is the serenity prayer. Regardless if you're spiritual, religious, believe in a higher power God, what it may be, this prayer, this line, this quote is amazing. The courage to change the things I can. I repeat, the courage to change the things I can. The courage to change the things I can. No, that is not an audio glitch under MP3 player, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever. That's me repeating the word courage. Easy word to say, tough thing to act out the definition of that word in real life. But damn, let's face it, I'm here because one year, one month, one week ago, and two days ago, I had that courage thing to stop drinking. Today as I record this, I'm working to remember that this is all that I need, is courage to change what I can change today, and the wisdom to know what I can't change. I don't need to reach perfection, Recovery Elevator. I don't have the best performing fantasy football squad. I don't have to work out every day. I don't have to eat healthy every day, and I don't have to feed my standard poodle Ben every day. Okay, I got to feed my dog Ben every day, but you get the point. I've been thinking a lot about courage lately because it's the other side of the serenity coin. It's such a relief to know what you can't change. I mean, seriously, talk about freedom. You cannot change the weather. I cannot change the traffic. And for the most part, I cannot change my boss's behavior. So I might as well just deal with it and not really spend the bandwidth or brain power to be worrying about it. So simply understanding and fully grasping what you can't change has a lot of freedom to it. It's almost empowering. But man, you ready for it? When you see what you can change and what you should change, it can suck. Because A, it takes courage to face it, and B, it takes courage to actually make those changes. 
As I get to know people in recovery, meeting people in meetings, talking to people for this podcast, and reading the stories from others who are making it in sobriety, I see the unmistakable common thread of courage. We alcoholics in recovery are some of the toughest, focused, faith-filled badasses around, and that is not a myth, it's a fact. Maybe it's because we have learned how to live with pain. For crying out loud, look at the damage we have lived through. We've got hangovers, heads in the toilet puking, lying, stealing. We all got some legal troubles from this, broken relationships, and in my opinion, the worst of all, we all lived through a period where we let ourselves down big time, and that's time and time again. But here's where we are different. We got up. We mustered the courage to get up just one more time than we got knocked down. The courage we found to get up that last time is why we are the lucky ones. Not everyone makes it to sobriety, and this courage might just be what makes all the difference. I will tell you right now, it's not easy to admit we are powerless over alcohol. Society teaches us that being tough is a virtue that means never admitting weakness or defeat. Yet the irony with a beast called alcoholism is that we mustered the courage to fight our lives by the simple, terrifying act of humbling ourselves and admitting that we are powerless over that alcohol thing. Yes, it's hard to say, but when you finally admit defeat and say, all right, Cuervo, you got me. And I'm not coming back for round 862. You got me. I'm done fighting. Walking into my first AA meeting didn't feel much different than getting blasted by a senior when I was a freshman playing varsity football. Or when Michelle said no to prom to me when I asked her four straight times. But guess what happened, guys? The fifth time I asked her, well, she still said no. But you get the point. It's basically one last chance to win a seemingly hopeless fight. And today, my friends, because we all had that courage, we are winning. And today, just the simple act of listening to the Recovery Elevator podcast has us all one step closer to staying sober. I like to think of this hard-earned courage as one of our secret weapons that a lot of people outside sobriety haven't had the experience to cultivate yet in life. In everyday life, we know that our limits are greater than we previously had thought because we have been through hell. We have greater understanding of what we are capable of, we find a greater purpose in life. We value honesty. We value deeper relationships with those around us. We have also had a glimpse, a taste, a serene peace and stillness. In sobriety, we are courageously putting our families back together. Oh yeah, and don't forget our own lives. We are changing the cycle of addiction in our families. We are creating a better life for our children and changing patterns that will affect generations to come. This is true, even for those of us who haven't had kids yet. I haven't had kids yet. Heck, I don't even have a girlfriend. But I'm so thankful, and I never thought I'd say this, that my future kids will grow up with a practicing alcoholic father. Not practicing the 12-ounce curls. I'm practicing the 12 steps. Or I'm practicing my portfolio of recovery. In sobriety, we are courageously helping those around us who also suffer. I view the actions of friendships in sobriety relationships with sponsors, and even a simple hug after a meeting or meeting with another alcoholic at a coffee shop as another thread being strung in this amazing safety net, helping people at an unprecedented rate in history. Largely due to this whole technology thing, the reach is so much greater. Think about it. How hopeless were you if you were an alcoholic even a hundred years ago? Hell, I felt like Tom Hanks in Castaway and all I had was a volleyball. That's how alone I felt in 2014 and for a decade prior. And that's with podcasts and all the technology that we have today. If I was an alcoholic 100 years ago, man, I'd like to think I would muster up the courage necessary, even more courage, 
but there is no better time to get sober than today. We also know the goal isn't necessarily to reach perfection. It's simply to live, to be a little better every day, and to feel humanity's spectrum of feelings in the process. But none of this came until we simply had the courage to do that one next right thing that started with admitting that we couldn't control this alcohol thing, that we didn't have any power over it. The next right thing might have been telling somebody. The next right thing might have been simply believing that someday our compulsion to drink would have been lifted. It's that blind faith that this investment in ourselves is going to pay off. And here we are at whatever sobriety date we have. For me, it's one year, one month, one week, and two days. And here we are looking for the next right thing to courageously do today. And let me ask you, Recovery Elevator. Yeah, you, listening right now. That person listening to this podcast, getting ready for work, telling themselves, look, I'm going to make it till 5 p.m. before my first drink. Hopefully this podcast gets you there and a lot further. What does that courage look like for you today that you're going to display for everybody to see? Now, don't mistake yourself. You have the hard-earned gift of courage. Are you strengthening it like a muscle by having the courage to do the next right thing? We strengthen our courage with repetitions, just like we strengthen our muscles. I love that. No joke. Courage, just like bench press, just like the mile run. The more you do it, the more you exercise. This gift of courage that you were given, that is in your genetics, the better you get at it and the more courage you're going to have. So I'm going to challenge you right now, Recovery Elevator. I challenge you to pick one thing today to get a little progress on. It doesn't have to be completely outside of your comfort zone, but you will definitely get bonus points if it is. And if you're in the Recovery Elevator private accountability group, throw it out right now on the group. Let us know what courageous act you are going to do today in sobriety, and you'll see just how contagious this is. And it is with this courage to be a little better than we were yesterday that we march headfirst into life sober today. Now, for today's guest, I'd like to introduce another courageous, badass sobriety warrior, just like all this, Jason. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm well. How are you today? I'm fantastic, thank you. And thank you for joining us on this wonderful Monday morning. Question number one, Jason, how long have you been sober? About four years and a month. Congratulations on that. Now, listeners, Jason is 40 years old. He's been sober for four years and a month, as you just heard. Lives in Colorado. And Jason, I'm going to let you take it from here for a little bit. Let's reference the podcast title, The Recovery Elevator. Tell me about your elevator. When did you decide it was time to quit drinking? And how bad did it really get? Well, honestly, I had known for some time that it was time to quit drinking Things just weren't really working very well with my family life and my work life. One day I uh, took off in the middle of the night against my wife's wishes and fell down one of our uh, beautiful Colorado gullies and cracked my head open. And she had to come pick me up at a restaurant. I was bleeding all over the place with my four-year-old there. And I got to go to the hospital and get staples in my head with my four-year-old watching me. That was probably one eye-opener, but that, that wasn't enough. I, I continued to drink after that, and let's see, probably two more years of drinking daily. My wife made me go to counseling with her because our marriage was completely falling apart, and we went to counseling, and the counselor had me fill out an alcohol assessment, which, as we all know from listening to Recovery Elevator, if you question if you're an alcoholic, you probably are, and if somebody else is questioning it, 
you probably are. So I filled that paper out and was shocked at the number I got. I can't remember what it was, but it was uh, pretty scary. Continued to drink after that for a few more months. And one day after a binge, yet another blackout, I just decided I was done. My wife went off to work early one morning, as she usually did. She would go to work early and stay late so she didn't have to be around me, which I don't don't blame her one bit for. I wrote her a note. I told her I was done. And strangely enough, I decided to clean out our garage. And I cleaned out the whole garage and made it perfectly spotless. And she came home and she's like, what the hell are you doing? And I handed her the note and she's like, wow. So I quit on, I guess it was September 1st of 2011. And I I really have not looked back at all. The day I decided to quit, we had a uh, function with about six other couples at a local bar. So that was interesting that I had just told my wife I wasn't going to drink anymore. And two hours later, I had to go to a bar with all my close friends. I did not drink. I drank iced tea. All my friends just assumed I was too hungover from the night before. I kind of played off as sure, whatever. I didn't tell anybody I had quit drinking. Day one was rough, but I just told myself one day at a time and changed a lot of patterns in my life. And as I said, I haven't looked back since. Yeah. Jason, let me jump in here for a second. First off, September, great month to get sober. I'm September 7th. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But let's back it up a little bit. Talk to me about your drinking habits. How much did you drink when you filled out that questionnaire? Obviously, it came back, you're an alcoholic, but how much did you drink? You know... On my uh, Recovery Elevator app, I put in eight drinks a day. I'm sure it was probably way more than that. I would start at work at four in the afternoon and go until there was no more booze left or I couldn't drive to get more, one of the two. So, (laughs) you know, eight eight to 15 to 20 drinks probably. (laughs) Now, when you got the results back from that test, did you put any methods or systems in place for example like okay i'm only drinking on odd days of the week one three five and seven something like that oh yeah i did i don't even remember what i did you know it was such a mind game i thought maybe if i just drink on like thursday friday saturday i'll be fine things like that but it didn't work (laughs) i still ended up drinking six days a week maybe seven you know Ah, oh, those plans, they never work. Jason, they don't work. <laughs> you hinted earlier that you went to counseling with your wife, and you, you said you have a little one. Now talk to me yes. about how alcohol affected relationships with family members. Well, with my wife, it was really bad. As I kind of hinted, she wouldn't, she didn't really want to be around me, which I, I don't blame her. We would stay up very late at night. She would basically just be babysitting me to make sure I didn't hurt myself, you know? And we didn't have, we didn't communicate. I'd get drunk. I'd black out. She'd get pissed. I'd buy her flowers and we'd just move on, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it was like, it wasn't like that every day. Rinse but and repeat. It, yeah, exactly. Okay, good. She's not really mad next, you know? Yeah. So that was, that was a big strain. And uh, my little one, I now have three, but at the time I only had one and one on the way. And throughout the, the process, I decided I, I didn't want them to be raised around an alcoholic either. My family history is that of a lot of alcoholics. I think when I was three years old, I'd bring my grandparents their margaritas, you know, um, or I'd yeah. go fill their glass of ice or 
or whatever. And if you can walk to something useful, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, that that's just not healthy. And I didn't think it was right for them to see, you know, three or four bottles of wine sitting on the counter at the end of, or at the, uh, every morning when I'm cooking them breakfast for school, I'm barely able to see, you know? <laughs> so I think once my third child was nine months old when I quit. So nice. now I have a 12, seven and five year old. Listeners, Jason and I were talking a little bit before the interview. Jason has reached this milestone of four years and one month without Alcoholics Anonymous, a 12-step program. He says he's done it with sheer willpower and determination. However, just listening to your interview, there was a lot of other steps that you put in place, even though you know it or not. In my opinion, for example, the note to your wife. That right there is creating a lot of accountability. Your simple email to me, reaching out to me and sharing this story, as your brother told you, who we'll get into that in a second, this is the 12th step in a nutshell, even if you know you're doing the 12th step or not. So talk to me about how you got sober without going to AA. I just decided enough was enough. I was tired of waking up feeling like crap. I was tired of having my wife not trust me. I was tired of having, spending the money. I was spending, you know, $40 a day on booze easily, <laughs> if not more. I was just tired and tired and tired. And I knew there had to be a better way to live. So I picked it. Nice. I was doing the math for 40 times 365 and I did the numbers too high on my calculator. That's just ridiculous. So congratulations on saving a lot of money right there, Jason. Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. I look at the recover, Recovery Elevator app, and I'm, me and my wife are just astounded. <laughs> it's like around 15, 16 grand, 17 grand. Nice job. 18 grand. Yeah. Yikes. So what was it like when you first got sober and you're like, okay, day one, I'm going to drink some iced tea. I picked a great day to get sober. Well, great month, but not the best day. You went to a dinner party or the couple's party at a bar. I'm going to have iced tea. Yeah. So what was that like? Day one, day two, day three. Day, you know, the, I've been thinking about this and day one, day two, day three, I would summarize as like having been in a, a severe accident or really, really sick, or you just, I felt run down. I felt very fragile. It was tough. You know, I didn't necessarily go through withdrawal, like with the shaking and everything, but there was a lot of like, I felt like I had the flu. <laughs> trying to get through those first three days and, and driving by liquor stores that I used to go to, you know, at four thirty every day was, was still driving by them going, don't turn the car in, don't turn the car in. Oh. You can, if you just, if you just drive by, you're going to be okay today. I know that feeling. And that's man. how I, that, yeah. And that's how I did it, you know? And, and I, I was really scared of saying, you know, those first, days, weeks, months of I'm never going to drink again. That scared the hell out of me because like a lot of alcoholics, you wonder why you can't be normal. Yeah. So why no, why no AA? A lot of people are like, okay, I, you know, I checked 58 of the 64 boxes on the alcohol test. I guess I'll go to an AA meeting. Like, why did you not just go to an AA meeting? I, I didn't want to admit that I was an alcoholic. And I thought there was a big stigma surrounding it. And I have thought that for four years until about six weeks ago when I happened to be on Facebook and a 
a thing popped up called This Naked Mind, and this lady's writing a book. Um, there's a plug for her. Yeah. And I started reading it, and then I, I, as I told you, I did a search for a podcast and started listening to your podcast. I listened to some others, but I keep going back to Recovery Elevator and just kind of was willing to admit that, wow, I am an alcoholic and I can't drink again. And I've done this for four years and maybe I can help somebody else. Jason, isn't that astounding that you had been sober for what sounds like three years and seven months before you came to the realization that you're an alcoholic? Yes. (laughs) Or willing to admit. I knew I was, but I wasn't willing to admit it. Willing to admit, I was sober for two and a half years from 2010 to 2012, and I never once admitted I was an alcoholic. But sure, I was a massive, raging alcoholic of of, of the book type. And that social stigma, Jason, is one of the main projects of Recovery Elevator to battle that social stigma. And congratulations to you. You're doing the 12th step, even though you skip steps, I'd say, 2 through 11. I mean, you've done them, whether you know it or not. But, right. That's what my brother said. <laughs> yeah. And, and tell me about your brother. He's, he said he's 26 and he's been sober for six months. Did he kind of yeah, follow think, in the older brother's footsteps? He did. He really did. He didn't want to wait till he was, you know, 36 years old to decide to get sober. He saw his life going downhill rapidly. Um, a little worse than mine did at that age, but we were still doing the same things. He just caught it earlier. And yeah, a little bit of said, hey, if my brother can do it, I, I can do it too. I love it. Air quotes. He did. Caught it earlier. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we don't talk a lot anymore. You text now with the, with that generation. So we were texting one day and I was telling him about Recovery Elevator and I thought I could maybe share my story and help some other people that that might hear what I went through or, you know, maybe say, hey, I'm an alcoholic too or, you know, whatever. And he said, you absolutely have to reach out to them. That's the 12th step. I know you don't know that, but that's the 12th step. And I went, oh, holy shit. Okay. <laughs> wow. Little brother educating the big brother. On yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was a pivotal moment for my life. It almost made me cry that he was at that level to be able to help me get to my next level. It was really a, a cool feeling. Wow. It caught it early. And that's going to reference the podcast title elevator. He simply got off the elevator earlier and recovery elevator, big announcement. You've heard it right here. First, I am developing a recovery elevator dance, right? This will rival the cha-cha slide, the Cupid shuffle, the whip, the nay-nay, all those good dances. It's in the beginning phases, but when it's up, I'll launch a YouTube video. It's basically a dance you're like, okay, I'm going to get off this elevator. And you go to push the button and you're like, oh, nope, coming back. I'm going to push the button. Oh, nope, coming back. Going to push the button. Oh, nope, coming back. That's it. <laughs> it. We're going to put some I more moves it. into it, you know, the right beats and things like that. But that's the dance. And Jason, you did that dance, but you ended that dance when you're 36 years old, which is so cool. Yes. Yeah. Glad to be free. Yeah, you are free. Congratulations. Now, Let's go into a different gear right now. So you have not gotten sober with AA. However, I don't get the feeling that you took a page out of my initial portfolio phases of just not drinking. I don't get the point that you're a dry drunk simply because you're on the phone with me right now doing an interview. Tell me about your air quote program. You know, the the first six months of my program was 
complete isolation, nothing social, you know, really introverted, just really took it one day at a time. I told my friends that I wasn't drinking because I wanted to lose some weight, <laughs> you know? Yep. And, and then after that, I, w- I said, okay, now I'm going to lose some weight. So I, I started working out like a, a Fruit Loop, and I got in shape, very good shape. And we're, I live in Colorado, so we're surrounded by these mountains. And I said, I'm going to hike a mountain. And I actually took my nine-year-old. Um, we hiked Pikes Peak together. It was the first mountain I had climbed. And it was quite a feat. Me and me and my nine-year-old climbed to the top of that sucker, and some really nice lady passed us on the trail and went up to the top and bought my daughter a necklace and congratulated her on on climbing this mountain. And you know, I kind of relate that to uh, recovering too, as climbing a mountain. You know, just one step at a time, one day at a time, one thought at a time. Some days. And my daughter and I went to another mountain, and so I started climbing mountains. Currently, I think there's 54 in the state. I've only done 12 of them. A lot of them, I, I'll go do one on September 1st, usually. You, you're referencing kind of, 14ers here, right? 14 yes, that yes, are 14,000 feet or higher? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, so I, I, climb, I usually try to go climb a 14er on September 1st, just as a kind of, uh, you know, you've got it going on type of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, but that really being outside and enjoying Colorado and all it has to offer and experiencing that now with my three kids, that's my program. (laughs) I like that milestone. September 1st, you climb a mountain and I'm going to go back to the analogy that you just did of the whole one day at a time thing. It's, it's standing at the bottom of that 14 er and looking up to the top of Pike's peak. And you're just like, no way that is, that is is not happening. And then you move your left foot forward one step. You're like, well, that wasn't that bad. And then you move your right foot forward one step. But if you look up to the top and that's basically when you're drinking, you, you look forward to your wedding. You're like, wait, I can't drink at my wedding. I can't drink in 20 years. That's looking at the top of the mountain. So good analogy. Nice job bringing that into perspective. The one day at a time. Nice job. Jason, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions in 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be great. Jason, are you ready? I'm ready. Jason, what was the worst memory from drinking? Oh man, there's been so many, Paul. <laughs> um, yep. I would say falling, falling down the crevice and cracking my head open. Yeah, that's a tough one. Number two, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? Really to continue to try to help others. That's really my, my new big goal is to see what I can do to, to reach out to other people. And, and the reason I reached out to you is I think me helping others succeed is going to help me stay where I need to stay. Number three, Jason, in regards to sobriety and recovery, what's your favorite resource in recovery? Recovery elevator. Yeah. Check your email. You should, you should get a notification from PayPal saying the money that I sent you to say that has now arrived in your account. Thank you very much. <laughs> awesome. Number four, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Since I haven't been in AA meetings or, or any of the other programs, you know, people just kind of are shocked that I, I don't drink and they accept it. And that's been kind of my uh, deal is just being accepted as a non-drinker has been pretty cool, <laughs> you know? Maybe. So nobody's really given me advice, you know, like, Hey, add a boy. Well, that doesn't really work, you know? 
before going on to the next question, I want to comment on that too. One of my best friends, Nate, who I interviewed in episode three, four, five, six, he, I think he's been to two AA meetings. He's been sober for over five years and we chatted about it last night. It's, it's a communal disease. It doesn't really matter if you're, if you're diehard AA or you've never been to a meeting. If you're an alcoholic, you're an alcoholic and you've got something in common with another alcoholic. It's the craziest thing. Number five, what parting piece of guidance, Jason, can you give to our listeners who are in recovery or are thinking about quitting drinking? You know, if you're in recovery, work your program and uh, whatever works for you, stick to it. If you're thinking about quitting, know you're not alone. Know the person sitting right next to you is probably thinking about quitting as well because we, we run in packs. <laughs> And there's a lot of us out there and you're not alone. Jason, I usually wrap up the interview, but on my notepad of the notes I was taking during the interview, I looked at one thing you said while you were drinking. It felt like you were in a car accident. Is that what you said? Something like that. It felt like you were in a major when traffic I get, accident. Yeah. When I quit drinking, I just felt like, you know, a, a huge trauma had just ended. <laughs> yeah. And that is like the concussion-like symptoms that, that I, A, I experienced during drinking, but B, when you quit, it feels like a freight train hits you for, for weeks, for months. But the, the initial week, it, there's so much fog and murky and mud in your head. It's, it's just miserable. So I really like how you made and that the, analogy as well. Yeah, and the things that come back to you are just like, no. <laughs> oh, the memories. You know, I, did, I thought you meant the did hobbies. Did I do that real? Yeah, did I do that really? <laughs> Yeah, that stuff as well. But you know, the other things that came back to me was like, oh, I do like model trains. You know, these little hobbies that have been oh, dormant for years. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, like you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to whittle a sailboat out of beechwood today because I know how to do that. And I haven't done it. Yeah, I, I used to love to carve things out of wood. It's the weirdest thing, and that came back slowly after. Time. Yep, sure does. Jason. Thank you so much for taking part in your 12-step recovery and helping myself stay sober, as well as listeners as well, and helping yourself stay sober. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Not sure if you're an alcoholic yet? Maybe these might help. You might be an alcoholic if you honestly believe your drinking buddies at the bar are your mentors. That's from Garner in Paris, Arkansas. You might be an alcoholic if you have adopted the Anheuser-Busch Shield as your family coat of arms. That's from just an awesome website. You might be an alcoholic if you don't understand why people have trouble quitting. You do it every day. Usually, you've already quit by midnight. And sometimes, even more often, before 5 p.m. That's from Nikki B. Next up, you might be an alcoholic if you wore out your third trash compactor yet this year. That's from Lacey in Altus, Arkansas. Number five, you might be an alcoholic if you had a sigh of relief after on your last business trip when you woke up to see the person next to you in bed was the opposite sex. Thank you, Thomas from Studio City. Oh, this was the latest and the greatest in the news. Uh, you might be an alcoholic if you get drunk at your school's cafeteria, demand they serve you mac and cheese, accost the manager, get arrested, and expelled from the University of Connecticut. Wow. Recovery Elevator, talking about courage. If you're not part of the Recovery Elevator private accountability group, do yourself a solid and join. Recovery Elevator, you took the elevator down. You got to take the stairs back up. You can do this.